Mindfulness Mode 79. To be a great performer or to be a great trainer, you have to do a form of meditation. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. As appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com slash calm, C-A-L-M. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Debbie Roberts-Lauks on the line today. So, Debbie, are you in mindfulness mode? I am. I'm trying to be, yes, because I'm not with a horse. So usually that helps the whole mindfulness mode for me. Well, I can believe that. Debbie Roberts-Laux is immersed in the world of horses. Working with Monty and Pat Roberts Incorporated, she started the first online horse university where those wanting to learn more about horses could learn through interactive lessons. Debbie has extensive experience in marketing as well as new business development. As an expert horse handler, Debbie understands mindfulness as it pertains to our human connection to animals. So, Debbie, tell Mindful Tribe, exactly what does mindfulness really mean to you? Well, thank you for that nice introduction. I think uh, I would have to say that mindfulness means to me, when I'm in mindfulness mode, uh, it means that I am in the presence. And when you're working with horses, you, everybody, all horsey girls know that you are living in the presence. That's actually the appeal. That's the therapy, if you want to call it that, yes. of horse, horsemanship uh, or just being around the horses. And so I think being present, being happy to be in that environment is a big part of the draw of horses and and having horses and being around horses. There are an amazing amount of people. You you mentioned our online university. We call it Equus Online University because we we set it up like a Rosetta Stone. We wanted people to understand the language of horses. And that's a foreign concept to a lot of people. What language? But it's a silent language, like signing for the deaf. And it's based on their predatorial environment and and millions of years of, of development in their DNA. And so... We all know intuitively that have been around horses a long time that you have to, you have to be in, in, in the present. You have to be in mindfulness mode. They might not call it that, but you ask any horsey girl, um, you know, if she's been away from her horse for a couple of days, do you want to get back there? Absolutely. i got to be with my horse. And, and, and the people that started signing up for our university, surprisingly enough, a lot of them didn't even have access to a horse. We thought, well, that's odd because we thought, well, wouldn't you want to learn the language of the horse because you had access to a horse? You wanted to be around your horses and you wanted to understand them more. And that is true for a, a, a good percentage of our students. But some of them, without that access, needed an outlet you know, for that, that desire, that need. And that's where they find it. They find it in a calm voice. That's my father's. Uh, seems to be, some people say they turn on his voice just to... to to get calm, which is interesting <laughs> to him. Yes. He, he didn't predict that one, but, uh, but also just, you know, learning about horses and, um, and understanding their psyche of a flight animal. So many people that we are, um, around 
in homes are accustomed to the carnivore animals in our life. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Cats and dogs, you know, they they have a completely different motivation system than we do. And if you think about it, you'll understand it, that they they work for their food or they work for the gamesmanship of, uh, of the pursuit. And, and horses aren't like that at all. Uh, God just gives them grass to eat. So they, they don't actually have to earn a living. They just go find it. And so f- to use food as a reward system doesn't work very well with flight animals. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, until you really stop to think about that, I mean, you think about it all the time, but I never really thought about that. I have a couple of cats at home and a, and a dog at home, but it's true. Horses, you know, they eat grass, they eat hay. Yeah, it really makes a difference. Now, you, you talked about the silent language, and I'd like you to expand on that a little bit more, if you can, the silent language of horses. Mm-hmm. So my fa- anybody who might uh, pick up his book... Uh, Dad was talked into, <laughs> right, it's a true story, talked into writing his autobiography um, by the Queen of England. Wow. And the reason, yeah, I know, it's, it's, a, it's a great story, but the reason he had to be talked into it is because he, he wanted to do another video or, you know, he wanted to uh, explain Join Up, which is a, a training system that he, he uses, uh, but it didn't make sense to anybody uh, why you know, explain something that nobody knows what it is anyway, that nobody has a desire to understand it. So he went and wrote his autobiography because he was exposed to wild horses at a very young age. He was born into horses. And uh, he, he, by the time he was uh, just double digits, he decided uh, to, to go out and round up wild mustangs so he could make a, a living with he and his brother in the summer uh, to to get these horses in the wild horse races at the rodeo. And so you could make a pretty penny if you could round up these wild Mustangs. Well, that's not as easy as it sounds. No, I'm (laughs) sure it isn't. They're out on the desert in Nevada and they intend to stay there. So um, they had to figure out, they had to be very clever to read the horses. Mostly it was started off on their belly on the desert floor up on top of the, the mesas, you know, where they look through binoculars and to find the herds and then study the social interactions the horse like which horses are the guard horses uh which horses were the uh, who's the matriarch that was always a, the matriarch is the the mother who decides where the feet go you know she finds the food she finds the water she tells all the herd where they need to be she disciplines the young ones and the stallion well we know what his job is to propagate uh-huh. <laughs> that's pretty much it and he really isn't the big protector the guard horses are so all of this is a really interesting dynamic to to understand and then there he started to see that a noisy horse is a dead horse out in the desert Uh, that's where the predators uh, would prey upon them if they're noisy so it's a completely silent language of gestures and and what does that look like well we we have a body that's not like a horse so in order to communicate with a horse we needed to use the predatorial language like open fingers like a claw on a cat that means go away. Eyes on eyes. We're a predator. We have eyes on the front of our heads, not like a flight animal that have them on the sides. So a piercing eye uh, is very threatening. Um, the body stance, square shoulders like a bear, uh, is means go away to a horse. A 45-degree angle and rounded shoulders and averted eyes, that is an invitation 
to come to you. So, and that's what the matriarch does when she sends the extraporous teenager away from the herd. That's uh, very scary to the young ones, and he wants to get back to the herd. So he waits for that matriarch to say it's okay, and she she you know will turn away and not put her eyes on eyes, and uh, and he can come back. So. Anyway, there there is. I mean, for people who want to study it, like a Rosetta Stone, it's it's not as complicated as a dictionary. It's a small dictionary, but it works like a charm. And I'm sure some people are much better at it than others. You know, that's an interesting question, being you know, that your show is mindfulness, yes. um, because some people physiologically are better at this. Mm-hmm. Anybody can learn it, Bruce. I I could have you in a round pen today and you would achieve a join up with a horse where the horse will choose to trust you Mm -hmm. but that's only because you went through the gestures carefully and you were a student Um, but it's a very simple language if you get it right Uh, somebody okay so there's two places where we have some symbiotic uh, materials to work with here one is bullying Mm -hmm. uh, and I and I understood that that is one of your your passions That's is right. studying bullying. And the other is um, what we call PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. We don't like to, to veterans that they have a disorder um, like PTSD because they didn't go to war with a right. disorder. Right. So it seems a little odd to come out of the war with a disorder. I think it's an injury, and, and we believe they can heal from it. Horses do two things for those subjects that are absolutely amazing. And what are those two things that they that they do? They number one, you can't earn their trust. You you really need to demonstrate that you've earned their trust. In other words, you're not going to sit down and talk to them about why you're trustworthy and that they you feed them and you provide a, a stall for them and therefore they should trust you. It doesn't work. <laughs> right, it's it not like that. that way. Just because you're writing the checks yeah. doesn't mean they trust you. Uh, they trust you when they know that you understand that their language, uh, you live by the, the language that they have uh, been interacting with for millions of years and that you won't hurt them. Right. Uh, the only thing that will drive a flight animal away faster than, you know, uh, whooping and, and ropes and everything is, is the threat of pain. And if they understand the threat of pain is coming from you, you'll never be trusted. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, and that's, that's where we get into this bullying subject, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Trust, trust to be earned is one that you have to 100% understand that you'll be handled without pain. And, and that for people is even more complicated because words can hurt worse than whips um, in a lot of cases too. So horses, horses don't like to be yelled at, but they especially are avert. Uh, they have an aversion to pain, uh, and, which is so f- funny. The way we treat horses all these thousands of years—you know, for six thousand years—we've, mm-hmm. we're you've got the picture of uh, the Remington paintings, you know, with the cowboy and the and the whip and the bucking, and you mm-hmm. know, that's your traditional image of uh, starting a horse. His first saddle and bridle is is racked with pain and fear and and all that and it's it's almost accepted that that's the way you do it but it but it doesn't make any sense it's upside down from what a flight animal wants right it's not the way you do it it's not the way you do it but it is the way they do it right the tradition still exists out there but when dad wrote his autobiography the man who listens to horses 
Um, it went 58 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list, which is really anomaly because it's it's a horse book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. What it's happened there? Pretty specific. Very specific about what his life had been with horses, and uh, so I, you know you have to ask yourself why was that such a crossover? Why why did that transcend so many different books like Angela's Ashes and mm-hmm. Tuesdays with Maury? These are the books that were on the list with them at the same time. Such a diversion from all that, um, but. It, I think if people read the book, they would understand that the the analogy of the flight animal is very much like children being bullied growing up. Very fascinating. You know, you said something earlier about horsey girl, and I know that from talking with Glenn that there are so many connections that women have with horses. And he said, oh, yeah, it's a it's a women's world out there with horses. I'd like to know more about that. Now, obviously, Monty is is male and he is the one who connects with horses very well. So it's not specifically a feminine thing. But why is it that so many women are drawn to horses? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I told my my two boys uh, that I raised up, you know, just just wear the Monty Roberts T-shirt and you'll you'll pick up chicks, you know, (laughs) 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 because he is known throughout the horse world of being very kind of polar opposite than the male testosterone driven device for training horses, Uh, because even beyond the starting of horses, the training of horses continues with violence. I mean, look at our racetracks today, too. I don't want to be a political statement, mm-hmm. but when they drop the whips, the horses are going to start running faster. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. You know, horse at the racetrack, when you bet on a horse, they don't, you don't win money because they beat some time or something. It's just the first horse that crosses the finish line, right. you know, wins everything. Um, so why, why, why do women kind of not like the horse racing as much as men? Uh, well, gambling is one Part of it, but if you're just going out to see a beautiful horse, you don't really want to see him get beat up in those last hundred yards or so before the finish line. And it, it is kind of turning people away from that. Women understand that uh, they're they're more of a nurturing. Uh, it's not a sexist thing. I think it's in our DNA. You know, we have mm-hmm, to bear the definitely. children, and and so you know we we see ways around it. We can be a little weak on discipline sometimes. And what does discipline look for a horse? Look like for a horse? It's putting pressure on um, those eyes on eyes, uh, those um, sendaways that we can our cues from our body. Those can be pressure on. It doesn't cause any pain, and horses understand it. It's their own language. Uh, and then pressure off is a reward. So we we get that really well. If we don't get that, and we have a horse that walks over the top of us, and we have to go to a trainer, and we, mm-hmm. we have to get our horse, you know, understanding discipline because you can't have a thousand pound animal out of control. So women, interesting though that Glenn says that because in the in the northern hemispheres. Uh, that is true. I mean, it's 95% women, and, but it is also men that understand that. Because if you look at the top, top heap of the the people that are winning the Olympic golds and everything, that's Will Simpson show jumping in Hong Kong um, is on our online university. Uh, Stefan Peters, uh, he's originally from Germany, but he, he's been in the United States for a long time gold in top, top, top in dressage. So if you take the top, top guys and you say, what's the ingredient? Why do these guys get all the way to the top? Guess what it is? What is it? (laughs) They love their horses. They've taken pain and punishment out of the horses and they have harmony. Right. They connect. 
They connect with that horse and they are absolutely phenomenal at training for the discipline side, but without the pain. And that's how you get champions. But you're seeing a lot of the women get champions too. Now, the reverse is interesting because we broke into Brazil a few years back. That means that we've started touring there Mm -hmm. and demonstrating these concepts. And upside down world, 95 plus percent men in the industry. Um, you, you go to, you fill up a building and you don't see, you know, many women in there at all. They were maybe allowed to come, but it, it, it's a, it's an upside down world that way. Why? Just because they're, they're pretty much 50 years behind what the training has been up here and, but they're changing faster than we are. Um, they, they recognize that this is a, this is a better way. And that's what I love about like the Brazilians. Their brain is just completely wide open to these concepts and they want a better horse. They want a better tractor. They want a better performer, you know, so they will, they will go there. Um, the, the other thing that's very cool is the women in Brazil are recognizing that the way that they can work with horses is in the veterinary, uh, end of it, you know, where they really, they can go and be students first and, uh, at that level, then, the thing that's wonderful about the concepts we work with, which is no pain, is you, you're working with the horse's language. You don't have to be 200 pounds and, you know, ripped in muscles. Right. You, can, you can be 100 pounds and do at least as well as the 200-pound guy who's trying to bully the horse and move him around. Right. So you connect with the horse's through mindfulness now is meditation a component of this is this like you would spend quiet time with the horses that you might consider meditation or do you have a different type of meditation in your life i'm i'm glad you asked that i think being with the horses you are so in the present Mm -hmm. you have to bring your physiology in alignment you have to bring your body movements in alignment it is a type of meditation mm-hmm. you are so in the present to affect that horse in a positive way the only thing that's different between meditating alone in a room is you are now with a living breathing uh, being and uh, it actually is better I think than just meditating alone in a room because you can you can put yourself in that mindfulness mode we we teach diaphragmatic breathing um, and we we encourage our students to go to a song you know a, a singing coach or mm-hmm. um, go to a yoga class and learn that because if you can get control of your diaphragmatic breathing you can be less nervous riding you can be more um, you can handle a horse that's kind of maybe it's windy and his adrenaline is up and his um his sense of preservation of life you know they just they just think they're going to die all the time they're just they're what we call hypervigilant they um you know neophobic is another word we use for them everything uh new is something to be afraid of because they think they're going to die that's how they've survived all these millions of years okay yes and so for you have to be the adult in the room, right? <laughs> you, right? You have you to be a great performer or to be a great trainer. You have to do a form of meditation every time you're around a horse. And we we actually ask people to sort of pledge that they live by the concepts of join up once they've learned it, so that when you walk into a stall, this is going to be very horse specific. But mm-hmm. you walk into a stall if the horse has his 
but turn to you. Mm-hmm. You 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 sit there and use your best body language to say, I'm bigger. I, I want you to listen to me. And when they turn around, you reward them. You rub them between the eyes on the forehead. That's a place of vulnerability for them. You breathe out and you watch them lick and chew. They'll relax their jaw and they'll breathe out. They sync with you. Horses are uh, herd animals, so they're 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 animals of synchronicity. Right. They, they they actually sync their heart rates and sync their cortisol levels. If you could measure those on the fly, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another survival mechanism. Sure. Wow, I didn't know that they could do that. That's amazing. And you can do it with them. That's the cool part. That's what we use with our veterans. The the veterans program, Horse Sense and Healing. We actually we show them where you can get your hand around and, and feel their heart rate right in the girth area of a horse. They have a large heart, and you can get onto it real easily. And you can start breathing, and you can literally in a few minutes sync with that horse's heart rate, assuming everybody's relaxed and, and standing still, um, which is a really fun exercise for them to do. Do you want to hear a fun thing about I, what we do with the veterans? I, I definitely do. Okay. <laughs> I love this because – the fun thing about we do three day courses, um, clinics, uh, weekends. Yes. And on Friday they come, and they may be just back from deployment, and they're strong and big and still, you know, kind of in fight mode, you know. Yeah. And those guys want to dominate the horse when they get in the round pen, and we coach them on in communicating with the horse and getting what we we call achieving a join up. Um, that's when the horse comes to you while your back is turned at a 45. So you can still see him out of the peripheral of your eye. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, he cannot force that horse. He literally has to communicate with that horse. And it can be sometimes frustrating because they can force. These guys are huge, but they're not as big as a thousand pound horse that can, you know, go 40 miles an hour. around. around <laughs> yeah. No guy has been in that good a shape yet. Right. So, um, that's an interesting Watching of him, this this veteran, rein in his his aggression, his physiology, his frustrations. He has to rein all that in, throw it away, and start from scratch. Now, the polar opposite is interesting, too. The veterans that I feel the most for are the ones that come back that have just gone inside themselves. Mm-hmm. They just cannot deal with anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe that they can lead or even maybe run their own lives at that point. And they have to muster up this communication system with an animal. They can trust the animal more than they trust the rest of us, frankly. So if you leave them to their ingenuity of figuring out how to be a leader in that round pen, they begin to rise up a little bit. They begin to communicate with this large animal and they feel that leadership coming up in them again, that ability to lead, that ability to be um, the adult in the room and say, you you can trust me. You know, I'm trustworthy because if, if they don't communicate with the horse and they don't lead, the horse will completely ignore them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the horse will just be breathing over here, looking over the fence and, and completely ignoring them. And they they really have to be more assertive, and they have to uh, they have to understand their physiology enough to know that they can do that again. So here you have these polar opposite issues with the veterans that are coming back, but the horse, same horse, even mm-hmm. can help both of those. Wow, yeah. 
Wow, that's incredible. You know, this is bringing back images of Nellie and Prince when I grew up on the farm in Ontario. And, and Nellie, was, <laughs> Nellie was so spirited. They were pintos and, you know, we'd ride Nellie. And then it was fine riding her away from the barn. But then as soon as it was time to go back to the barn, whoa, she just went like the wind because she had missed Prince, you know, and she wanted to get back there. It was it was really exciting, you know, and I didn't have inside knowledge, but I knew some of the things you're talking about. I'm like, oh, yeah, they love to be rubbed between their eyes there and, and, and certain things like that. So it's fascinating. Now, we have to talk about the queen and your connection and, and what that's like. So you've been involved in training the queen's horses. Is that right? Well, that's my father. That's 100% him. He is, is a famous racehorse trainer, first of all, and he was written up in in articles and magazines and everything. And, and the queen, let's leave the royalty out of this thing. She is a horse gal. Mm-hmm. She's completely horsey. I think that would be her first love if, if she you know, had a lie detector test on her, <laughs> her lie detector put on her those belts. She would say horses are just, um, you know, have, have really kept her balance in her life. And, um, and I, and it's not just me talking. I, I think that's been pretty well documented out there. And, uh, there's a beautiful documentary called all the queen's horses. And it, it was really is lovely if, if you ever are interested in that side of the pond. But, um, I think what's interesting about her is she is a student of the horse as well as an enjoyer of the horse. Uh, And she read articles on dad and invited him in 1989 to come over and demonstrate uh, what he did to be different above all other trainers at that point because he would start young. uh, He would buy horses as yearlings uh, and then train them up, put their first saddle and bridle and rider up and, and get them ready for the racetrack when they've matured. And so um, he just dominated, he and my mom dominated that world for like 20 years. And dad didn't share a lot about join up or what it was because as a child, he, his father, my grandfather beat him for that. Uh, He was beaten because he didn't follow tradition and uh that's that's a whole nother story but they should read his autobiography about uh he's much like a horse uh, he was treated traditionally and and his father wanted him to step in every um step that he took and mm-hmm. and when he didn't want to go that way when he didn't want to hit his horses uh he was beaten instead wow. uh, my, my grandmother would hide him uh sometimes and there were a lot of broken bones uh mris when they first came out and dad was in the 80s uh, by a guy by the name of robert curlin invented the mri and and was the coach or for the the doctor for the the lakers basketball team and he had his first mri and he said what were you in a plane wreck or train wow. wreck what happened and, and it must have been in pu- before puberty because they can tell when testosterone is present in the breaks and not and it was before the age of puberty so there you go he wow. never was beat up by horses it was all by his father so i tell you all that because um the autobiography that's part of the reason it struck a chord with people is uh you know that we we really do need to take violence out of our life that violence is is really never the answer and violence is always for the violator never yes. for the victim you know, yes, yes. And, and and no one of us was born with the right to say you must or I'll hurt you to any other living thing. The queen recognized this in him, I am sure. When she saw the first demonstration, it was actually the queen mums 
little filly that mm-hmm. he started that day. And he was coached on, you know, how to, he, actually the royal family wasn't supposed to be there on that, that day. He was supposed to be demonstrating for all her trainers and everything, mm-hmm. which I'm sure they were grumbling about. <laughs> California cowboy coming over there yeah. to show them how it's done, you know. Um, and, and California being the root of the classic Remington beat em up kind of thing, you know. So uh-huh. I'm sure they were a, a bit surprised when he demonstrated the concepts you and I are discussing. So, but the queen was there and the queen mum was there and they came down to the arena or to the round pin that they had set up in the, in the muse there. That's the, uh, the covered area where they have an arena. And, uh, the queen mum had a little tear in her eye and, and she just hugged dad and dad hugged her. And then it was like, Oh, forgot protocol. Oh. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to touch the royalty, no. but it was such a, um, you know, it was such a leveler to see this animal, happily take its first bridal rider and, and saddle. So um, from then on, she put him on the road. She put him in her, my mom and, and uh, my dad in, the, in her armored car, mm-hmm. <laughs> this giant car, and they went all over England and, and uh, demonstrated in all the little training spots that she had. And that started a lifelong friendship with those two, and they see each other at least two or three times a year. Dad's over there actually at Polehampton right now training for her training all the the young ones uh, mm-hmm. to their first saddles and first uh, experiences uh, with humans uh, and and he's really infused that program with a lot of um, a lot of the language we talked about well it's really fascinating hearing this and and how old were you when you first knew you had a connection and you had this incredible love for horses I don't remember. Uh, My mom is a horsewoman as well. They won, they both won world championships. So Mm -hmm. I was really, my first memories are, you know, in in my mom's, in front of my mom. So yeah, between ears, you know, looking between ears. Uh, So I I don't know that I even ever made a conscious decision about liking or not liking horses. They were always just in my life and always cool. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Debbie, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Jesus Christ is probably, you know, my Lord and Savior is probably mm-hmm. the most influential person in my life. Yeah. Well, he certainly teaches us yes. plenty about mindfulness. Not everybody thinks of it that way, but I certainly do. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Debbie? Oh, they, you know, that that 16 to 22 range was so helpful being around animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think if you are inclined to be way up and way down, which I'm really not, I I tend to be pretty level. Uh, But if you are, and everybody goes through it, it's such a great way to be humble, to care for something that doesn't really ask for anything in return. I, I would say, just that's probably the, the biggest help for me is being around animals in moments when you really need to kind of stay centered and grounded. Sure. You've mentioned quite a bit about breathing, but tell us, how is breathing a part of your mindfulness practice? I work on it all the time. Thank you for asking that. I think that um, the our, our biggest enemy is um, something that throws our equilibrium off and breathing is the first thing that will throw our, if we're not breathing, everything else goes. It really does. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? 
Uh, I have already recommended dad's book because I just think it <laughs> yes. puts, you know, it puts you in the subject. Uh, but I, you know, I love the Temple Grandin books. It's not a book on mindfulness, but she is a full professor in Colorado state and she is a high functioning autistic. She is an animal, but an intelligent one who can write about it. Um, and I think, uh, understanding her mind and her story has been uh, a great way to stay centered as well. If you could share an app which helps you be more mindful, what would that be? But I, I understand there's some uh, PTSD apps, and I've been looking into those, and uh, they do tend to use the subject of mindfulness, but I will explore that. Sure. What advice would you give a person who is new to this whole idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? Go volunteer at your local equine therapeutic uh, they need the help, and it's the coolest way to uh, get outside yourself, be happy, be doing something for somebody else and, and animals too. And you will, a residual effect will be that you get to be around these wonderful animals. Wonderful residual effect for sure. And, you know, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today, Debbie, and learning all about your world of horses and and mindfulness as it pertains to horses. So fascinating. And I know that you're a host of Horsemanship Radio, which is a great way to connect with you. But you tell us, what are some other ways to connect with you and learn more about what you do? Well, thanks, Bruce. That's really nice of you. Yeah, horsemanshipradio.com is part of the Horse Radio Network that Glenn Hebert um, introduced me to. And we're, we're lucky to be able to um, have such an open subject like that. And it's so much more fun than being discipline-specific like dressage and Western. So horsemanship is something that I think everybody can enjoy if you enjoy horses. And uh, But you can go to montyroberts.com. Um, that's the place where we are kind of internationally the hub for um, taking the violence out of the training of horses. And then MontyRobertsUniversity.com, and that's M-O-N-T-Y-R-O-B-E-R-T-S. MontyRobertsUniversity.com is where we have built the Rosetta Stone of the language of horses. So thanks again for taking this time with us and all the best to you with your work with horses. Thank you, Bruce, and good luck to you too. This is a wonderful show. Thanks so much. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.